ஸ்வாமி I must say I was looking at the selection of questions that I must say that I'm so uh, amazed and happy to see the depth and the subtlety of the questions that we are receiving uh, that's really wonderful we are receiving so many questions that it's impossible to uh, answer more than a fraction of the questions that we have got we try to make as good a selection as we can remember when I'm talking about especially about advaita vedanta Advaita Vedanta is simple. It's about one thing only, that your own true nature. So whenever I'm answering questions, whatever the question is, whoever has asked, basically I'm trying to point to one truth about ourselves. So it's good to listen to the answer, even if it's not the question you asked, it could well be the question that helps you. So without any further delay, let, me, let us get to today's questions. Diane. Yes, Swamiji, the first question comes from Hasharaj B. And he asks, in one of the lectures by Swami Atma Priyanandaji, he mentions that when the Kundalini reaches Anahata, the spiritual heart, one sees the uncreated light and hears uncreated sound, and one recognizes his or her actual nature as the spirit separate from the body-mind. Is this the same as Aparok Shanobhuti? Is the experience of the awakening of the Kundalini and the experience at the Anahata, the heart center um, of the uncreated light? So what is the uncreated light? Um, so is it the same as Aparok Shanobhuti? Yes and no. So in what sense... um yes and in what sense no in the sense that kundalini uh, this is an entirely different approach so kundalini yoga and the approach of advaita vedanta advaita vedanta is the approach of vichara uh, investigation inquiry into the self so our experience of ourselves by which i mean nothing more than uh, what we all do subject and object waking dreaming and deep sleep or the layers of the physical the personality which we have an exp- an inquiry into that in order to arrive at the witness consciousness which is not an object and in kundalini yoga what is done is a series of uh, meditative practices which are both yogic and tantric um which lead to the awakening of the mystical force called kundalini and which is then visualized as traveling up the the uh, the uh, sushumna the central nerve channel within the spine uh, up to the different centers the seven uh, centers psychic centers in the body 
to the heart center where the first spiritual experience takes place. Sri Ramakrishna says one one is struck with a wondrous experience and the spiritual seeker says, what is this? What is this? In Bengali, eki, eki. So it's, a, it's an extraordinary breakthrough when one for the first time appreciates what is meant by the spirit, by consciousness. Not body, not even mind. Not um, uh, experiences like seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, none of that. Not even like thinking, fe feeling, not even the most extraordinary intellectual understanding. Beyond all of that, I suddenly perceive at the core of my being is this immortal light. Light, why it's called uncreated light, this is created light. Even the sun, sunlight, created light. It's part of the material world. And one, take, one is taken to a subtler level. There is a light which is the eyes and the, and the ears and the senses are kind of light because they reveal certain things to us. Your eyes reveal forms to you. Ears reveal sound to you and so on. So senses can be seen as a kind of light. Light here is within quotes now. Not a physical light. Subtler than that, all the senses are known by the mind. So the mind is a higher kind of light. And the mind is itself known by what? Or revealed by what? That is the uncreated light. And that's at the core of our being. That's what we truly are. So that's, that's realized there. The uncreated light, the anahata dhvani, the unstruck sound. And then, there was that phrase he used after that. Uncreated light, unstruck sound, and then? Uh, uh, he has uncreated sound and one recognizes his or her actual nature and yes. spirit. Then one recognizes his or her actual nature as the spirit. This is the result of that experience. Spirit means consciousness. I am that light. So that is the, uh, the entire, the sum total, the sum and substance of that experience is that I am not this body and mind, I am that, that light uh, which I experience, not as an object. It is experienced as the subject, as I am that. So it's not an objective experience. It is rather experienced as the very nature of the experiencer. Language fails here. So this is um, Kundalini Yoga. And in the path of Advaita Vedanta, where the term Aparokshanubhuti comes from, we know, we inquire into our experience of, of the self. We inquire into what we are. So the first answer is, am I the body? And then we see why we are not the body. These are not just arguments, they seem to be like philosophical arguments. The body is changing and I experience myself as unchanging. The body is an object, I experience myself as the subject. The body is insentient, I experience myself as sentient. Sentient, insentient means uh, that I am aware of the body, body is not aware of me. That's what it means. By all these so-called arguments, these are, these are not just philosophical arguments, they are. They are meant to convince us intellectually that I am not the body. But deeper than that, they are meant to show us. This is something that most people don't uh, understand. Once you appreciate this, the true magic of the Advaita path becomes uh, evident. Uh, it is not just convincing us intellectually. It is actually showing us as a matter of fact. When I show you, here is a piece of cloth. Is it an argument? No, I am showing you, I am giving you an experience. That I am not the body, I am not the mind, it's actually an always available experience. Just the path of showing us is through a philosophical inquiry. Once we see that, then we, we automatically become aware of ourselves 
as the light or the consciousness which experiences all of this body and mind so this is the aparokshanabhuti path you will come to the same realization as this one what is the difference two major differences one methodological and one in the ultimate conclusion the methodological difference is this in the kundalini yoga path you await certain mystical experiences very powerful and they're genuine but they are mystical experiences why why i'm saying why am i saying mystical experiences mystical experiences which are extraordinary they come and go that uncreated light in the heart is everybody seeing it all the time no 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 it depends on a series of a, a practice which ultimately culminates in that kind of a mystical experience um whereas in the path of enquiry one enquires into what already is one is not looking for a new kind of experience so an a, a kind of philosophical inquiry into what what already is and that it it reveals itself as that uh, that consciousness which is there one is the path of mystical experience seeking a mystical experience the other is the path of uh, what might call a direct path of inquiring into what already is that mystical experience comes and goes but if it is successful it will show you the same realization that i am this witness consciousness so that's one big difference it's called uh, it's a methodological difference difference in approach the second big difference is in the ultimate realization aparoksha anubhuti does not stop at realizing i am the witness consciousness it just begins there then one is invited to enquire into the what you have discovered that i am the witness consciousness is this witness consciousness limited by limited i mean is it one here and another there and a third one there and one witness consciousness in each body and mind is that so or is it one witness consciousness in all bodies and minds is it limited that it is here and not there is it limited in space is it limited in time yeah. so and one discovers it is not limited uh, that uh, it is one existence consciousness bliss in which the entire universe all beings they appear and are experienced in that one consciousness this unlimited consciousness is called brahman so the ultimate realization in this aparokshanabhuti the path of gyana yoga or advaita vedanta is i am brahman the ground of this entire universe the one reality of this entire universe that is not so uh, in the path of kundalini yoga okay second question comes from dimitri s if i understood correctly my real nature is brahman and liberation is for the jiva the yearning to attain liberation is also at the level of the jiva in time by the grace of brahman in this life or in the next after the jiva is educated and struggles it eventually realizes its real nature and dissolves its borrowed identity in brahman what is the purpose of these cycles does such a question only exist in the mind in the causal world of maya and brahman and therefore there is no answer to this question until one returns to the true unattached self Yes so if one listens to advaita vedanta carefully thinks about it one has to everybody has to come to this question if you are already brahman if you are already the absolute um 
then what is the purpose of appearing as a sentient being and going through all these um, struggles the suffering of life and then um, the gradual awakening and following the spiritual path and coming to an enlightenment and realizing that you are brahman which you already were so what was the purpose of the whole thing um the answer is contained in the uh, question itself he men- mentions causality there swami vivekananda would often say this question itself is wrong we can ask why is this question wrong you see when we ask this question it leads us to a deeper question about questioning itself what is the question what are we asking for here we are asking for an explanation and what is an explanation it's asking for a cause we see an effect and we we want a cause of that so the grass is wet and i want to know why what would satisfy me maybe an answer like it rained and therefore the grass grass is wet or wet or the sprinkler was at work and therefore the grass in the lawn is uh, is wet and that answer satisfies me why i have got a cause i was looking for a cause and i've got a cause now this seems fine so why should we not ask why is there this entire cycle the whole game of life why is it there we can ask for a cause of that it won't work why because see when i am asking and talking like this notice my language why because it's all about causality and yet the answer given in advaita vedanta is this entire cycle of life this game of life it appears because of maya so how does that help what is maya one way of understanding maya is space time and causation it's like when you have a theatrical performance you need a stage so in the theatrical performance of this universe the stage is space time and causation um, and this stage is provided by maya so when you have causation as part of the stage you can't ask for a cause of maya because you're it's like asking for a cause of causation and to make that more clear it's like so space and time if you ask what is outside space what is before time notice when i ask before time or outside space before time means i'm already assuming time before and after are time words before and after are tense past tense future tense so these are time words which means you have already accepted time only within time does it make sense to ask before and after past present and future only when you have accepted the concept of space it makes sense to ask inside and outside so this universe is space so what if, you, if a child may ask what's outside the universe nothing you can't answer that because outside also already means space so when there is no concept of space there is no concept of outside inside just like that before maya without assuming maya without assuming um, causality one cannot ask for a cause the moment you ask for a cause you are already asking for a cause within within maya one can ask for a cause but about maya itself one cannot ask for a cause it's just as as meaningless as to ask what is outside space what is before time similarly what is the cause of cause cause of causality it doesn't work so that's a logical answer why one cannot 
meaningfully answer this question. But one should be able to understand logically why it is not possible to answer it. Now the question was, is there no answer until one is enlightened? That is true. That is true. I like this. One of our senior swamis said, it's on, on our side there is only the question and no answer. On the side of those who are enlightened, they don't seem to ask this question. They, don't, they have the answer but not the question. And the question is gone and dissolved. It, it's not a problem to them. After enlightenment, it's not a problem. That's why um, in the Himalayas, they, the monks have a saying that when you, if somebody asks a question about Maya, they would say, um, Maya ko pratishtit mat kijiye Mahatma ji, Maya ko kaatiye. Don't try to establish Maya, oh monk. Try to go beyond Maya, try to negate Maya. So when you are asking why this happens, one wants a reasonable, logical answer. But there is no reasonable, logical answer because this world from an Advaitic perspective never was. It's like a riddle, it's like a mystery, so it, it never was. It's an appearance. There is no reasonable, logical answer within the dream for a dream. I give the example of being chased by a lion in a dream. Now if I ask, where did this lion come from? The real answer is there is no lion, wake up. But if I won't accept that answer, no, 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 I see a lion, you must give me an answer. Then you have to say the lion came from the jungle, but where in the jungle? Well, from its um, uh, daddy lion and the mummy lion, and where did they come from? Or oh, they came, came from their parents, and where did that come from? There's no end to this, you can see. <laughs> and none of it is actually true. So the, that is the answer, or non-answer, if you will. Um, what, is, what is to be done? See, this is a path. It is, it is to be walked upon. Accept that Advaita Vedanta is telling me you are Brahman. Our immediate reaction is, I don't know. I don't know that. I may hear it, I can listen to it, but I don't feel it, I don't realize it. That is Maya. What is Maya? That I don't know. It's not real for me yet. That is Maya. That's all the proof that we need of Maya. Now the thing is, how to overcome it. How to go beyond that and realize, who am I? Uh, this question comes from Anne B. in England. Intellectually, I follow completely the logic that all objects are in my awareness. For example, my hand, my body, my mind, my senses, my thoughts. Everything I see in the world exists only in my awareness, and that ultimately there is the witness to this. Just as the dream world is only in my awareness, so is the waking world only in my awareness. I think the next step must be faith. Without faith, how can I know that this witness is Satchitananda slash Brahman? How can I know that this is not just a method to block suffering? All right, I see two questions there. One is, it's very good that one at least has a clear perception of what is meant by saying all this is in my, in my awareness. This itself is a very big step forward. Because our common sense uh, view of things is, this world is out there. And this body is real. It is here, solid, perceptible. And in this, there is some vague stuff called mind or awareness, whatever you call it. That's it. So I am a body with uh, awareness. Just like I am a body with a cap on my head, there is awareness inside the head. This is the common sense perception. But as we investigate deeper, you come to this realization 
Actually, all of this is experienced in awareness. Without the awareness, what would be even the most solid world would not be experienced. The experience of this world clearly depends on awareness. Does the existence of this world depend on awareness? That's a big question. Now, the question is: I now realize that I am awareness, and in me, the awareness is the mind, is the senses, is even the sense of ego. Uh, the and whatever is revealed by the senses, the things I see, hear, smell, taste, touch, all that is taking place within awareness is is uh, appearing and disappearing within awareness. Now, how do I know that this awareness is Brahman or Satchidananda? Now, those are terms. What do you mean by Brahman or Satchidananda? What is basically meant is this. Now, even the word Brahman, the the literal root meaning of the word Brahman is uh, the infinite. Literally, it means to to expand. The Sanskrit root meaning is to expand. So, to expand without limit means the infinite. So, Brahman is the infinite. How do I know that this awareness which I am is the infinite? This is what the question is. Satchidananda means being uh, awareness bliss. Basically, the question is that this awareness which I am. How do I know that? It is the ultimate reality of the universe, which the Upanishads tell me that you are Brahman. If I claim I, the awareness, am Brahman, is it not making a leap of faith? That's the question. It's actually a subtle question. At this point, many people I've seen many um, scholarly persons also who are well read in Vedanta, they make a mistake here. They say the argument is this. I am not the body, not the mind. I am awareness. This kind of insight, one can reach with reasoning and experience. By reasoning upon our own experience, by the arguments that you have provided, I can come to an at least an understanding, an appreciation of what is meant by saying I am awareness, not body mind. Although the body mind is experienced, but I am not these things. I am the awareness which is experiencing these things. This can be achieved. Without any kind of belief, one can actually um, investigate and find it for oneself. But then to, to take the next jump, that this is the one awareness which is in all beings, in those bodies and minds. This is the one awareness in the entire universe is in this awareness. It is not outside this awareness. The existence of the world, not only the experience of the world, but the existence of the world also depends on this awareness. Isn't that a leap of faith? The Upanishads are telling me. I am the this this very awareness is the ultimate reality of of the universe that thou art, and thou the witness consciousness in this body and mind are that the reality of the universe. I the witness consciousness or the awareness am Brahman, aham Brahmasmi. Is this not a leap of faith? And many learned people would say at this point the Upanishads tell us this that I am Brahman and I have to believe it because I accept the Upanishads as revelation as scripture. Um, not bad. That is true. But one here, I would like to make a an, a subtle but a very 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 important distinction. It's not appreciated by many people, many scholarly people, who we'll stop at this point. It is not belief which is being pointed out here. Which is not belief which is required here. What is required here is when it is being said, this witness consciousness in Sanskrit, Sakshi Chaitanya. 
is the ultimate reality of the universe in which the universe exists, appears and disappears. Uh, in which the universe appears and disappears, and it appears to exist also. That ultimate ground of the universe is this witness consciousness. What is being said here is, the Upanishads act as a pointer. And they, they are inviting us to explore this witness consciousness we have already found. Explore it with the question, what is the limit to this witness consciousness? Is it limited by space? No, it cannot be, because space appears in this witness consciousness. Without, are you conscious of space or is con space conscious of you? Very obvious, very simple question. Obviously, I am conscious of space. Space appears in this consciousness. Time appears in this consciousness. It's not that the consciousness exists in time. Time appears to you in the consciousness and everything appears to you in consciousness. And everything is not conscious of you. You are conscious of everything. You are conscious of time. You are conscious of space. They are not conscious of you. So, you are not limited by space, time and everything. Everything is in Sanskrit sarva. Nothing in this universe limits you. No space in this universe limits you. No time in this universe limits you. You are the unlimited, which is basically what is called Brahman in Vedanta. Upanishads, then what role do the Upanishads um, play? They play the role of pointing this out to you. Without that, we would not know. That's why they are called Apramana. They reveal this to you, not in the sense of believing in it. If at the ultimate level it would simply boil down to believing in it, then one might just as well um, you know, believe in anything, might believe that God exists and everything is the will of God and that's it. Why go through all the rigmarole of I am not the body, mind and discover the witness consciousness? First you discover the witness consciousness of this body and mind and then you realize what you have discovered is without limits. That being without limits is Brahman. Being without limits is Brahman, consciousness without limits is Brahman and bliss without limits is Brahman. This is what we are and what we discover. So, this is my answer to Anne that it is not a matter of faith. You have already taken the most important um, step to discover that I am not body and mind. It's not that I am a body with consciousness. Rather, I am a consciousness or an awareness in which the body is appearing and the world is appearing. And this awareness is unlimited. Unlimited in space, unlimited in time, unlimited by object. Desha Kala Vastu in Sanskrit. This unlimited consciousness is Brahman. Is this just a way of blocking suffering? No, it's not a painkiller. Pain a painkiller blocks suffering. There's a problem and uh, the nerve impulses are inhibited by the painkiller and you don't feel it for a time being. It's not like that. If you want to experience suffering, it's continuously available to you. Go ahead and suffer. <laughs> but what this does to you is, is that it gives you an, a, a freedom, a dimension of your being, very deep, very profound, which is beyond suffering. So in, like Sri Ramakrishna, at this terminal stage of throat cancer, one can say truly two things. There is so much pain here, I cannot eat. True, absolutely true, like every other cancer patient. And one can also say truly that uh, I am in bliss. How are you in bliss? As the witness consciousness, not affected by the body and its pain. Yeah. I am in bliss. It is true. At a deeper level, it is true that these are appearances. They do not affect me. No more than a screen in a movie 
the movie screen is affected by a disaster unfolding in the movie nothing happening in the movie can affect the movie screen as shankaracharya says even uh, a grain of sand cannot be made wet by the all the water in a mirage an oasis which is appearing in the mirage in the middle of the desert none of it can wet even a grain of the sand of the desert because it's not real it's not at the same level it's an appearance so the appearance of pain in the appearance of the body cannot actually affect the reality which you are so it does not block out anything you continue to experience the world just because you realize it's a movie just because you realize it's a screen and a movie a light and sound does not mean that you cannot enjoy the movie you can you can follow everything that's happening in the movie but you are safe from the horrors which may come on the movie because you know it's a movie yes this question is from ramya m a phd student from iit kanpur my question is ontological how do we have duality in experience when the ultimate reality is non-dual i know the usual answer is avidya where is avidya what is avidya in which level of shankara's ontological hierarchy should one put this if brahman is neutral in the sense that is that it is neither physical or non-physical how does it constitute the physical and the mental <clears throat> how does one understand this manifestation relationship or are you of the opinion this is closed for science all right phd student that's that's why <laughs> that's why now we need to take the, these are difficult questions we need to take them one by one um so as she has said it's an ontological question or a set of ontological questions ontological comes from the root ontos which means to exist so one way of understanding philosophy one way of classifying philosophy is uh, ontology epistemology and axiology ontology asks the question what exists what is real so advaita vedanta would um when you say brahman is real uh, the world is an appearance and we are nothing other than brahman jiva brahmaiva napara uh, it's an ontological statement but if you ask how do you know that's an epistemological question and what's the point of it what's the point of all of this what is the value of it that's an axiological question which asks questions about value beauty aesthetics good and evil uh, what is right and wrong all of that is at the level of axiology so what used to be called uh, metaphysics is now ontology what used to be called ethics is part of uh, axiology now so the questions she had asked are uh, all um, ontological we have to take them one by one what was the first one we have duality in experience when the ultimate reality is non-dual all right careful here how do we have duality in experience when the ultimate reality is non-dual the question has to be uh, followed carefully experience when you say experience what is the structure of experience how do we have duality in experience what is the structure of experience all experience is subject object there is an experiencer there is something that is experienced and there is a, an instrument of experience so i am the experiencer what i'm seeing here is the experienced and my eyes are the instrument of experience in sanskrit prameya things to be experienced 
pramata the experiencer and pramana this the the instrument of knowledge so the three are there notice to have experience one must have duality so the moment you say how uh, is duality experienced experience demands duality all right now the question is but if non duality is the reality where did this duality come from uh, careful here to experience something what you are experiencing need not be real what advaita vedanta does is this advaita vedanta makes a division between what we experience and what is real dualism which says ultimately god and the world and us we are all separate individuals that it as it appears to us that is real what ex- what we experience is taken as real more or less we are experiencing ourselves as different um and so we are different this is dualism um, modern materialistic science is also based on this but advaita vedanta makes uh, an inroad here uh, makes a, d- a difference between what is real and what is experienced what is experienced need not be real see one cannot deny one experiences duality we are one is experiencing duality clearly here is something here is something else duality here is a world of millions of entities duality duality dualism means pluralism basically multiple entities i am experiencing it but advaita vedanta cannot deny that nobody can deny that because we are experiencing it but advaita vedanta can ask the question is this the ultimate truth about it or is there an underlying oneness when you look out into the uh, atlantic ocean 10000 waves so are there 10000 entities or is there one entity called water if you look at it as water the answer will be there is one entity one mass of water where is the limit between one wave and the other if you look at waves there's a limit it seems to be one wave is here another wave is here and it's propagating together but if you look at water where is the limit between one wave and another each the limit itself is water the whole thing is one undivided mass of water there's one reality what advaita vedanta wants to say is granted that you experience duality but underlying that at the source of that fundamentally is non duality non duality exists and when you experience because experience demands duality it is experienced as duality it requires a subject and object which means the subject and the object which are components of your experience they are ultimately nothing other than that one dual, one non dual reality what does advaita vedanta say brahma satyam that means the non dual reality is the is the truth jagat mithya the experienced duality is false in the language of her question non duality is the truth brahma satyam jagat mithya literally means the world is an appearance the experienced duality is an appearance jiva brahmi vanapara and you ramya are nothing other than that non dual reality you seem to be in this world of experience the experiencer and everything else is experienced but no advaita vedanta through its steps its inquiry will show to you you are the reality which is experiencing itself as the experiencer ramya and ramya's world swami vivekananda's uh, in the poem he says one only exists 
it appears as nature soul soul you the experiencer the experiencing age sentient being nature the universe so one only exists it appears as two the non dual reality exists it's real but what does it appear as as the dualistic uh, universe why it cannot appear otherwise remember what happens in our own experience what happens when you remove the distinction between subject and object what happens when you remove uh, the duality in waking world duality is experienced do not real according to advaita vedanta in dream world duality is experienced do not real not only according, according to advaita vedanta according to us also the duality that we multiplicity that we see in the dream world all the people the places the activities whatever is going on when we wake up what do we say none of it was there there was only one thing there what the dreamer's mind my mind alone by itself appeared as all of that so we have enough experiences and now there's the modern uh, she is at the cutting edge of indian technology iit kanpur is probably the best uh, engineering school in india so virtual reality which is you know people are working up on it there you see um, a world of objects and an environment maybe other people also there in that virtual reality and you can also enter and if you enter virtual reality you are given a virtual body and those virtual bodies in in computer language are called avatars so you have an avatar inside that virtual reality but what's there all the time in the midst of all that plurality it's only one computer which is generating everything so non dual reality is perfectly compatible with a dualistic appearance second question if brahman is neutral in the sense that it is neither physical or non-physical how does it constitute the physical and the mental how does one understand this manifestation relationship or are you of the opinion this is closed for science okay <clears throat> one might go to the depth the last part of the question how do you understand this manifestation why does brahman manifest at all suppose you may say fine non dual reality is the only reality duality duality is just an experience it's not real but why the experience at all brahman could have remained without manifesting just perfect existence consciousness place why the manifestation of duality and this universe we understand now why to manifest something to experience something you need duality you need an experience of duality not a reality of duality just an experience of duality but even that why experience at all why any of it let me give you an uh, um two logical options brahman could either manifest as something or just nothing at all it could either be something or just nothing at all these are only two options either brahman could manifest or nothing Uh, it could just remain as brahman now isn't that what is happening to to us all the time notice in our daily experience there is a manifestation Manif- by manifestation i mean ex- uh, experience subject object experience what what is that waking dreaming uh-huh. so there is something going on so brahman is manifesting also we have an experience of a kind of deep sleep let's not call it an experience a duality no but it's a kind it's a, it's also there we know 
that everything finally stops. The difference between subject and object is erased. It's in a mass of darkness. No, no specific experience is there. So, so you, you have both. Nothing. Uh, blankness, deep sleep. Something, waking and dreaming. These are the only two possible alternatives. Brahman is providing the only two possible alternatives. Why are you complaining? <laughs> You're asking, why is Brahman appearing in this way? Brahman says, all right, no appearance. Deep sleep is also there. Uh, and in the entire universe, that's our physical level, at, at our individual level, in the entire universe. So the, according to Hindu cosmology, the universe goes through cycles. There is the state of existence of the universe. And there's a state in which the universe collapses, is dissolved. The word is pralaya, complete dissolution of the universe, back into its state of maya, which is like a cosmic deep sleep. Again, from that, the universe emerges. Um, and we have an experience of the universe. Again, it goes back to that cosmic dissolution. Notice at the universal level also, at the level of the universe also, exactly the same thing is happening. There is something, the universe, stars and planets and life evolving, things are going on, happening. And at a subtler level, there will be multiple sentient beings going through many life cycles, um, experiences, happiness, unhappiness, heavens and hells and earths. All of that is happening and one day it all comes to an end. It's all absorbed back into Maya, nothing. So at the cosmic level also, Brahman is manifesting as this universe and sometimes not manifesting at all. Two things, something or nothing. What are you complaining about? Brahman is giving you the full range of options. One reason, deeper reason why we are unhappy with the state of affairs is in the state of bondage, in the state of samsara, in the state of suffering, when one inquires, then one begins to feel it is samsara which is responsible for my suffering. It is this something, this dualistic universe out there and me being part of it, that is causing my suffering. So at that stage, it's actually an advanced stage. One feels it would be good if it was not there. I realize there is a perfect reality. Call it God, Brahman, Atman, pure consciousness, whatever you call it. That's there. Then the question is, why is the rest of it here? We could do without it. Somerset Mom, he went to meet uh, Ramana Maharshi in India. And then he was uh, told about Vedanta, about Brahman projecting this universe. So he commented with his dry humor. He said, I felt, one feels, that Brahman could have left well enough alone. <laughs> could have left this universe alone. Brahman could have just stayed put. As I'm saying, that's the case also. Brahman stays put for some time. And Brahman also plays out this entire universe. Brahman gives both. But our question is, at this point, let it just be Brahman perfect, and nothing else. See, Advaita Vedanta's answer is, that is the case. Brahman was just existence, consciousness, bliss before the projection of the universe. And after the universe disappears, it is still that non-dual existence, consciousness, bliss. But most important, during the uh, existence of this universe, during samsara, during the worst suffering also, it is exactly that existence, consciousness, bliss and not one bit more. It was only the screen before the movie started. And it's only the screen after the movie has gone. But during the movie also, it's only the screen. There's nothing else beyond that. That's what makes then samsara itself like an aesthetic experience. A matter of joy. 
once one realizes this then one realizes that in everything that you experience in samsara you are experiencing brahman you are experiencing that perfect oneness non duality this is the only way one can experience it so it's one way brahman is having fun you might say good for brahman what about me brahman is having fun but it's <laughs> it's it's death to me it's suffering to me but when who are you you are brahman it is your game it's your play so it's not something to be worried about all that one needs to do is to become enlightened see the proof of this proof of what i'm saying is notice the jivan mukta the concept of being enlightened while living is exactly this it's not that the samsara has disappeared for the jivan mukta but the jivan mukta sees the samsara as brahman in reality not in imagination we are living in imagination we are sleepwalking through life we are dreaming daydreaming the enlightened person has woken up and having woken up sees that everything is all right it is brahman itself right now it is all right not only for the enlightened person the enlightened person also sees it's all right for us too but we don't see it we see that it's it's terrible it's scary then we ask a question like why is this appearing is this closed for science again yes and no it is not closed for reason it's not closed for philosophical investigation as we just talked about science as it is um it it is not something that's equipped to handle this kind of uh, inquiry but there's no reason why it should not expand to include this kind of inquiry i would say advaitic inquiry is a kind of science yoga is a kind of science yoga is empirical that's why was when vivekananda taught it at the turn of the 20th century 19 to 20th century he translated the first book he translated was not an advaitic book it was patanjali's yoga sutras and uh, though he gave it a vedantic bent uh, the raja yoga which is published from here in the vedanta society in the late 1890s empirical science not just data in the physical world outside but data in the sense in the pure sense of the word data that whatever appears to you whatever you experience is data so what you experience in your mind can it not be data of course it can be data so if you accept that as data all your experiences are data then the patanjali yoga approach opens up to you as an empirical investigation into our own experience um so yes science as it is might not accept it uh, i remember this conversation i had with brian green the cosmologist who is at columbia and who is a very well known popularizer of uh, physics of cosmology his latest book um the i think something um i forget the name of the book he was launching that book at harvard and then he mentioned that he had this discussions about vedanta about the vedas with his uh, uh, brother who is a monk so the question was what is said in this vedantic ideas is it is it the same as modern cosmology and he said no this is not science but we can see it's a poetic echo of uh, what we are discovering in modern cosmology it's it's sort of a poetic way of saying the same thing that's what he said okay um this is from diksha s 17 year old from india If Brahman cannot be experienced as an object, what happens in the state of nirvikalpa samadhi? Isn't it equivalent to deep sleep where there is no experience of body and mind but an experience of blankness? I know that in deep sleep there is ignorance in bija avastha 
and in Nervikalpa Samadhi there is no ignorance. But what sort of experience is there in Nervikalpa Samadhi if one can't objectify Brahman? Very good question and also anticipating my reply. <laughs> Nirvikalpa Samadhi, or which is like the Asampragyata Samadhi of Patanjali Yoga, where there is an absolute cessation, cessation of mental activity. Uh, Patanjali Yoga Sutra defines it as Yoga Chittavritti Nirodha. Yoga is the, is the cessation of mental activity, of the vrittis of the mind. Now that sounds suspiciously like deep sleep. When we are awake, our mind is active, senses are active, senses go out and seem to contact an external world, mind is active. In sleep, in dreams, the senses may not be active, the body may be sleeping, but the mind is active, it's generating dreams. But in deep sleep, even the mind stops working. The body is sleeping and the mind also goes to sleep. So isn't that like, like uh, Nirvikalpa Samadhi? Uh, so the standard answer is, in Nirvikalpa Samadhi there is no ignorance. Deep sleep is pervaded by ignorance. We fall into deep sleep. We don't fall into Nirvikalpa Samadhi. Nirvikalpa Samadhi is achieved through assiduous training over a long period of time in Ashtanga Yoga. In Patanjali's Ashtanga Yoga, the eight-limbed yoga. Uh, yama, Niyama, Asana, Pranayama. Pratyahara, Dharana, Dhyana and Samadhi. And that Samadhi is the Sampragyata Samadhi or Savikalpa. And beyond that is the Nirvikalpa Samadhi. So up to Sampragyata Samadhi or Savikalpa Samadhi, there is effort. You don't fall into it. It takes years of discipline and effort. And beyond that, one, one cannot make an effort to jump from the Savikalpa Samadhi into the Nirvikalpa Samadhi. That one just, one slides into it, let us say. But, um, so, there is the deep sleep is pervaded by ignorance, it's based on ignorance, caused by ignorance, and samadhi is not caused by ignorance. One is quite, actually the mind is quite awake there, just still. But then I can't say that, because the 17-year-old has already preempted me. I know that there is ignorance in deep sleep and there is no ignorance in samadhi. But then what kind of experience? If there is no ignorance in samadhi, what kind of experience is there? If you cannot objectify Brahman. True. One cannot objectify Brahman. So one cannot know Brahman as an object. That this is Brahman. I see this is the world. I may even have visions of gods and goddesses. This is Shiva or Kali. This. But that's still an objectifying. But the ultimate reality is not an object. Why? Because it is you yourself. You are not an object. How can you be an object to yourself? That's not possible. It is your own real self. Real self. Um, the Upanishad says, it is other than the known and beyond the unknown. Anya devatad viditad atho aviditad adhi. Ken Upanishad says this. Other than the known, beyond the unknown. See, all our knowledge is, there's something that I know and a vast number of things that I do not know. But what is common? They're things. They're objects. They could be any subject, any kind of uh, topic of study. But they are objects basically. Things to be known, understood, experienced. Only a small fraction are known and there's a rest that is unknown. So what is Brahman? Is it something known? I say, no, I don't know it. So is it something unknown? The Upanishad says, no, not even unknown. Here is the answer to your question. It is not an object, not the category of a known object, not the category of an unknown object. It is rather the knower, who is not a known object, who is not an unknown object. And yet, 
this knower who is not an object, you cannot say it is unknown. You cannot say it is not experienceable. Rather, as Vivekananda said, it is more than known. It is you. You are that first. You know yourself first. You are evident to yourself first before you become a knower of objects. Before you see, you know that you are. Before you hear anything, you know that you are. Before you smell, taste, touch, you know that you are. This irrefutable knowledge of my own existence, and this is uncategorizable. If you ask, how do I know what? What kind of experience is my experience of myself? It is, uh, is it sight or sound or smell or taste or touch? Is it inference? Is it uh, logic? Is it uh, belief? None of them. Why? They all depend on your prior existence, your pre-existence. So the direct answer to your question is that it is self-effulgent. Brahman um, is self-revealing. It reveals everything. And it reveals itself also. But it reveals itself not as an object. It reveals everything as an object. Every manifestation of Brahman is revealed by Brahman as an object. But itself, it's the only way of knowing it is your own self-existence. And through that, knowing everything in the world. Uh, the one example I can give, which comes pretty close, is this. Your own eyes. So you see so many things. What is the proof that such and such person is there? I saw the person. Seeing the person is a proof that that person exists. Now if I ask, um, if I see some other person, I cannot say that person was there. I would say the other person was there. Uh, seeing X is not the proof of existence of Y. Uh, seeing Y is the proof of the existence of Y for me. Now, if I ask, what is the proof of that prove that I have eyes. I don't see my own eyes. I can at the most see a reflection of my eyes or a picture of my eyes. But the way the eyes directly see other things, I don't see my eyes directly. So what is the proof? Remember, what is the form of the proof? I see X or I see Y. Do you see the eyes? No. So does that mean the eyes are not there? No, the eyes are there. What is the proof? What do you see? To prove the existence of your eyes. The answer would be X, Y, Z, anything. Anything that you see has a double edge. Like it, it, has, it works both ways. It proves the existence of X or Y or Z. And it proves the existence of your eyes. Reflexively. Every experience proves to you that you are Brahman. Then the next question. Very sharp 17 year old. Would be then. Why Nirvikalpa Samadhi then? Yes, so this is the beauty of Advaita. Advaita points out that in every experience, Brahman is realized. But if this is too difficult, it's not, not clear, then one experience could be when you shut down every experience, you're still there. When you come out of Nirvikalpa Samadhi, you realize in the absence of every experience, I was still shining. In Nirvikalpa Samadhi, you can't say that because the mind is not functioning. But once you come out, you would say, Aha, what was that? I was still there, the mind will say, I was still there in the absence of any kind of experience, ex objective experience. So I am this self-luminous, self-revealing subject, which is the Atman, Brahman, whatever you call it. Yeah. Marina S. asks, The book Ashtavakra Gita is dear to me. 
I feel there is one place in your reasoning where I have to make a leap of faith. We are different bodies and minds, but the awareness in these bodies and minds is the same. My heart knows this is the truth, but my mind wants a proof. Why do we believe there is one awareness and not many similar awarenesses? Very good. We just discussed this a little bit earlier. Mm. So the question about, uh, she says that Ashtavakra is very dear to my heart and Ashtavakra is very dear to my heart as well. So, uh, but Ashtavakra is like a final text. So it takes the ultimate conclusions of Advaita Vedanta and states that again and again and again in hundreds of verses. It just tells you that you are Brahman. That's all. But this question shows that you like Ashtavakra is a great blessing. It's, it's wonderful. And it's really enough for, for liberation. But this question also shows the need for other texts. The need for the, the texts which, are, which use reasoning, which use questions and answers, which may be considered lower texts, but they build up to Ashtavakra. If those are not there, then this kind of question will come up when you study the Ashtavakra. You get it, but the mind still asks, um, but how? How is it that I, I am consciousness, I understand my real nature is consciousness, but there are so many other minds, and they also must be of consciousness, and they are all different minds, so there must be different consciousness. Aha, there. Just because they are different minds does not mean they are different consciousnesses. Why do we feel they are different from us? People are different from us. Identified the moment we think we are the body, then truly every other body is different from me. I can see, count, it, count them, they are different. The moment I identify with the mind, truly every other mind is different from me. And because, see, their, their personal histories are different, their thoughts are different, their emotions are different, their um, opinions are different. Clearly those are minds and they are different from me. But, not body, not mind, consciousness only. Consciousness only, how is it different in different bodies and minds? Yet Advaita Vedanta reverses that question. Advaita Vedanta asks, why would you think it is different? The reason why we think, we have an instinctive feeling, the mind feels that there must be different consciousnesses. Prove that there is one consciousness. Advaita Vedanta, reply to that question will be another question. Why do you think they are different consciousnesses? There is a clear reason to think they are different bodies. There is a clear reason to think different minds. But if you understand what consciousness is beyond body and mind, why would you think there are different um, uh, consciousnesses? The reason we think that there are different consciousnesses, it feels like that. It feels like that because there is this uh, lingering identification with body-mind. We are rooted in body-mind. See, that's the difficulty of Advaita Vedanta. One must be honest about it. In uh, the Bhagavad Gita, Arjuna asks Krishna, which is easier, the way of Advaita Vedanta or the way of dualistic bhakti? And Krishna says, bhakti is easier. Why? Avyaktahi gatir dukkham dehavadbhiravapyate The way of the unmanifested reality, that means non-objective pure consciousness, is very difficult for the embodied. Now, embodied, you have to understand carefully. Everybody is embodied. Even the enlightened person. See, there are bodies. Embodied here means strongly attached to a body-mind identity. Strongly attached to body-mind identity, one will continuously make mistakes about consciousness. One will bring one's own, one, um, one of the contemporary Shankaracharyas, 
in India. You know, there are different monasteries established by the original Shankaracharya. The head of each one is called a Shankaracharya. The contemporary Shankaracharya of uh, Puri, in the Shankaramata in Puri, Nishchalananda Saraswati Ji, he says, one must be careful. Otherwise, one does not know what one smuggles into Brahman when one says, I am Brahman. <laughs> we are smuggling in body and mind because we have not gotten rid. You need a thorough customs check. You have to declare, I am bringing in body and mind. No, not allowed. Put it in the trash bin. <laughs> these are not, these are on the, when you enter into the land of Brahman, these are on the prescribed list. I remember when I, for the first time I went to Australia, so they're very careful about their biodiversity and they don't want to import any kind of life form from the, from the world outside. They're nicely cut off from the world. So, no food. And I remember in the, um, in the airport when we were taking our luggage, there was this dog which was going around sniffing everybody's luggage and it pounced on a particular and gentleman's uh, suitcase. And the police officer asked the gentleman, that um, do you have any food in the suitcase? And the gentleman said no. And then, then they opened it and they found an apple. <laughs> and the policeman is like it was some kind of radioactive waste or something. Immediately with gloves and a uh, thick plastic packet, they put the apple inside and tossed it into a bin and uh, issued a stern warning. Never do it again. You'll be fined heavily. The man said, I just forgotten there was this apple. Uh, I, I mean, I totally forgotten. I didn't know that I was carrying a food item. Exactly like that. We are carrying non-Brahman items into Brahman. And that there was, apple means there is a body or a mind. We have forgotten about it. I think I am Brahman. And then I ask a question like, how is it the same thing in all bodies and minds? It's because I am thinking of myself as a body-mind. Let go. Think of yourself as only awareness. The one screen on which different movies play. Then you realize movies don't come with their separate screens. It's on one screen. Um, tragedy, a horror movie, a science fiction movie, a drama. They all play, come and go on one screen. Similarly, in one consciousness, multiple movies, multiple personalities, multiple um, universes are being played out. And you are that screen, the ground of this universe. Very good. We'll bring this to a close now. We hope to take up more of these wonderful questions. Keep them coming. Stay safe. I pray to Sri Ramakrishna, Holy Mother, Swami Vivekananda to bless us all, to protect us all. This is the month of Durga Puja, the worship of the Divine Mother, who is the protector of the entire universe. May her blessings be on all of us. Om Shanti 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 Hari Om Tat Sat Shri Ram Krishna Rupanamastu